Welcome to the Legion Podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Legion on FX. I'm Jason. And I'm Jim. And I'm Aaron. And this is the Legion Podcast episode six for Change of Pace. In this episode, Jim will psychoanalyze Aaron. Go. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, why do you isolate yourself from people, Aaron? <laughs> um, I, I, I wasn't aware that I, I did that. <laughs> That's classic denial. Okay, let's move on to yeah, uh, definitely top three highlights for season one, uh, episode six, chapter six. First, what do you guys think? Uh, I actually really like this episode. Um, my number one here kind of bleeds all the way into how I felt about the episode, which is I was able to get my bearings quite a bit in this one, and I felt like it was. Uh, it was grounding, you know, as we're coming to the the end of the season, it needs to be a little bit more grounded. We need to understand the stakes here. And, mm-hmm. uh, I think we're really starting to in this episode. Uh, so I really like this one. It's cool. Yeah. I mean, when you first say that, I, I'm like, really? Because it was so, it was just a whole different reality. But it, then again, it totally does make sense because we can kind of get a feel for what, uh, what's going on, right? What, what this malevolent character is trying to do. Right. And you also get uh, a sense of like what is probably the illusion and what is probably the real world. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's starting to ground us a little bit more. Yeah, I agree. I like this episode a lot more just because it wasn't doing the is it real or not. It's no, it's it's 99 percent unreal. Yeah. And that kind of frees them to stop, you know, to stop with the, you know, pussyfooting about the nature of reality and get down to telling a story. In fact, I think some of my favorite minutes in the entire season were in the first 15 minutes where they're doing the individual therapy sessions. And we got such a condensed look into the background and personality of these of these characters Mm-hmm. Uh, that had been previously kind of thinly just kind of sketches or costumes or powers. Now they're actually becoming people. And I, I like that. And and so I also thought the high fantasy sequences aren't as kind of distracting or um, pretentious seeming when, you know, they have a reason to exist. Like, you know, they showed the demon reveling in destructive powers last week they showed the demon reveling and fucking with people's minds this week and it all is a, of a piece so you know mm-hmm. go crazy with the james bond visuals but <laughs> yeah um uh but yeah i i most of the frustration i feel with legion is when they're spending the majority of the time trying to trick me into stuff that i don't i, I don't even think it's that great of a trick um mm-hmm. and when they just get down to tell the story i'm much more engaged what do you think jason no, I pretty much agree. I um, There was a moment, you know, during that first montage of uh, psychoanalytic sessions where I at least entertained the idea that, oh, you know, maybe this is actually reality because, you know, talking to Melanie Bird saying, oh, so you concocted this um, fantasy of your guy being frozen because you miss him. And I, I guess I never really thought oh yeah, this is what it's really been the whole time, but at least entertain the idea of that, you know, I mean, in like maybe in a movie that might be the twist, but for this show, you know that, no, this is just, uh, none of this is real. But anyway, um, I liked this episode a lot. It was a little calmer than most and more, um, I don't know, just had some small moments and some humor that I laughed out loud a couple of times. And, uh, it was a change of pace in a lot of different ways. So I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. 
speaking of wondering about the reality of, uh, you know, these scenes here in the hospital, do you think, do you think that any of it is tied up with the beginning where David is, you know, questioning aloud, maybe the hospital stuff was the only stuff that's real. Uh, could it, could it possibly be that none of the hospital stuff has been real from the beginning? I think that could be a possibility, but it would be kind of annoying. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually just proposing it as, you know, kind of an open-ended question. I don't think I believe that. Right. But the one thing I'm wondering about is, so in this episode, Lenny says, Oh, call me Lenny. We've known each other since the womb. And so that was a bit of a revelation. Now it sort of confirms that this demon has been a parasite since uh, the womb, but also that her, I guess, true name is Lenny. I mean, I don't know if that's really what she meant to say, but that's what it seemed like, which then begs the question, okay, well then who was Lenny? That, Cause I always kind of just thought, okay, if there was one real Lenny that she's taking on the visage of, it was the one in clockworks that was killed by Sid when she was in David's body. And now I'm sort of questioning that, like, what really happened there? Yeah, I'm. I, I was on that a, a week or two ago. That I'm starting to question whether Lenny, as she's constructed, and Aubrey Plaza version, actually was a real character mm-hmm. at all. Right. Um. Still don't know. So I don't know. Uh, do you want me to go first? Because my first, my my first highlight is the actual first scene in the yep. episode. Go. So this individual therapy session I was talking about in the beginning, I really like it because um, what I think was so great about Lenny or the Yellow-Eyed Demon's use of this is like how insane most of these powers are and how their situations do correspond to uh, maladjusted personality types. Yeah. Like, you know, Melanie can't get over the loss of her husband. She's literally, you know, that's that's the classic stereotype of someone mm-hmm. who hasn't changed their look or their their home or anything for 20 years and, you know, and they've in, they've envisioned this frozen unavailable husband to hide the fact that they're the one that's stuck. And Ptolemy's, you know, had this mother who just dropped dead out of the blue in this, you know, kind of idyllic existence and now he can only examine his memories and he's he's stuck in the past and he can't get out of this this loop and the carries have this you know textbook unhealthy attachments this codependent relationship Mm -hmm. and the eye is this you know kind of hostility with like this little bit of a little man syndrome or little boy syndrome and then sid is you know dangerously isolated um i thought that was really good and and I can see why you said that you might have thought it was grounded in reality because you know I thought I thought the way Aubrey Plaza played this was kind of like the patient but long-suffering therapist who was dealing with these kind of deluded patients and trying to gently nudge them and the kind of the malevolence didn't come out until later but I I just thought it was great and especially to the extent that we got more about uh, Ptolemy, especially, and the carries and how they felt, and just anything at all from the eye, I thought was <laughs> yeah. really great. It's interesting that the eye was a part of this. It sort of confirms that the eye and the demon are not in league because the eye is um, on the same playing field as everybody else, an outsider. The, so the demon does like the eye, though. Right. Um, he, Walter gets it. Right. right. Yeah. But and that's, yeah, I don't. The the ironic thing about that is, you know, Melanie does the opposite. I think what 
uh, we'll say Lenny. What Lenny's trying to do here is to pathologize everybody so that she can keep she can be the source of their uh, therapy, their well being, and keep them kind of spinning in this thing. And what Melanie tried to do was say, no, none of this is because of your mental illness. It's because of your powers. So, um, and I think it's somewhere in between, but, uh, the one person who I, I do think they could all probably use some therapy, but the one person who really could use the most therapy of all these, in my opinion, is Walter who she says, you know, you're angry, but maybe you're just angry at yourself or something like you're isolated by the world. And, um, it's ironic because he's the one that she actually admires the most and, and says gets it. So, but what do you guys think about that? Like, I, I mean, do you, do you agree that she's, I, I mean, I actually think real therapy can do this. Sometimes it can put you in this, um, mindset of pathologizing your habits and sometimes in, in ways that they actually don't need to be probably bad therapy. Yeah, bad therapy. Yeah, bad therapy. And yeah. so I think that's kind of what she's doing here. She's a bad therapist. She's trying to keep them dependent on her and thinking right. of themselves as as broken. Yeah, because it's funny because I've, I've been through a, a quite a bit of therapy myself and I've seen several therapists. And I said while I was watching this, I was like, Jesus, she's being awfully directive, which is – like if you find a therapist seeming like the pushing a pet theory on you or saying like, I'm not so sure this mm-hmm. girl you're seeing is bet like, right. like no really good therapist would state make declarative statements. They would ask you how you're feeling and how do you feel around this person? And you know, like what are you, but, but they would never be like, Oh, you should stop seeing this person or this is your problem and you're just too stupid to see it. And, um, but it's insidious because, you know, if you have a therapist that would do that, like they're in this position of trust, they know all your secrets and they've had training presumably. And, and, you know, uh, it's also kind of interesting how often therapists are damaged people themselves because that's why they, they got into sure. the field, you know, they want to give back. So, and, and to what extent did they bring some of their issues into the room? Right. I used to work at this literary agency where right. some of our clients were people who wrote self-help books and uh-huh. um like the guy who wrote the book about healing anxiety with herbs would always call and leave messages like uh i, I you guys have been promoting other clients this week and i i, I think you've forgotten about me you know just like everyone yeah, take an herb yeah take an herb dude exactly. but it's, it's funny because like um it's very very rarely that any kind of mental health is portrayed in a positive manner in in especially american society mm-hmm. like it, it seems like it's always in the couch of like a person put in a mental asylum against their will or a therapist conniving and taking advantage of them or uh, robbing them of their power and this and, and here it's like literally a demonic a demonic influence um i wonder if noah holly's a scientologist <laughs> I have to look into that. <laughs> there have been there's been speculation about that, but um, no kidding, because that would actually make a lot of but, damn sense. Well, I think it was debunked. I think it was debunked. Okay, but people were talking about, it, especially in those first episodes with the e-meter like devices. But yeah, I think mm-hmm. um, you know our our um, mental. Ah. I don't know our. You could say weaknesses often like this guy, the eye he's overcompensating for having developed late as a kid by being extra aggressive right now. You know, we all, uh, 
this is probably getting out of the scope of podcasting, but I just want to say, so we all sort of, uh, we, we, we're going to talk about uncircumcised dicks. We, again. No, no, no. I promise. Cause I don't know. If, Maybe don't later know on in the go, email. Section, I don't know if we actually. need to go down that, but okay. <laughs> but you know, like I did, I got a, um, email for, or not an email, a, a listener on Facebook said, called me an attention whore the other day. And I'm like, oh yeah. I'm like, why well, when I start a podcast, you know? And sometimes those kinds of things can lead to uh, lead lead you to do some great things. Actually, that's what I think. And so that's why I think that does relate to the show because it's all about you know whether these people's um, peculiarities are uh, to be considered as weaknesses or strengths, powers or mental illness. Yeah. Good. Good. Uh Good, good, good take. Bring it around. All right. So that was actually Tasty my number take. three, too. So, Jim, what's yours? Oh, boy. Uh, my number three? Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going to break the format again. I'm going to stick with my number one because we kind of already talked about it, um, sort of getting bearings in this episode. But I did want to bring up, my, like, my biggest question of this episode, which is uh, Carrie in the diving suit, the old Carrie. Uh, he's kind of either leading people out of the illusion or perhaps he is actually the demon with yellow eyes. I'm not certain. Uh, what is it about Carrie that would make him the one to kind of lead people out, out to the real world again? Because we see him do that for presumably for Melanie, unless you want to say that the person in the diving suit is not always Carrie. Yes. And it just happens to be Carrie for Sid, but I don't really know why that would be the case. I think I think that and that maybe it was Oliver for Melanie. Yeah, yeah. My my take on this is that Oliver reached out to Carrie. Yeah, and he might have done that because they're both um, kind of scientists, um, or for whatever reason, because because I, I think that the deep sea diving suit is analogous to some form of emotional or mental armor mm-hmm. that allows them to go out into the the astral plane with some kind of protection from parasites. You know. Um, so I think that what what I think we're going to appreciate is Oliver recruited Carrie and taught him some rudimentary or or maybe like, you know, that's a thing about comic book rules is maybe the, like he can actually just wear the suit and that protects him. Like, like it's it's (laughs) literally something Oliver is Mm -hmm. extending with his, his, his mental powers honed of 20 years living in this environment. Right. Um, but then I don't know. Now I don't know why Oliver himself didn't go. Maybe Oliver is in particular risk of being contaminated or, you know, fact that he's been here for 20 years makes it harder for him to make such contact. Yeah. Or there was just a juicy groove on his radio. He had, <laughs> right. He had Didn't. to get down to. Right, right. <laughs> he had some beat, beat poetry to compose. Yeah, you get you definitely get the feeling that he's isolated. And um, I also wonder if, you know, maybe if they could have gotten Jermaine Clement for one extra episode, then uh, it would have been him in the suit. You know, mm, they, yeah. that's interesting the, too. a budgetary consideration. Yeah, you can't ever write because it could be that like as often some of these budgetary limitations end up being fruitful from a story point because like, yeah, uh, right. you put constraints upon the process and then people are forced to be creative and, you know, what they end up with is even even more interesting. Um, cause I think one of the side effects of him being recruited is it deprives the, who we dis- usually think of as the, the more tougher carry 
it deprives her of her brother and, and shows her as being this kind of vulnerable person who's being preyed on mm-hmm. uh, by the eye. Whereas if she had her brother in the next room, would any of that have happened? So, like, if, if it is, in fact, that you couldn't get Jermaine Clement because he's off recording Manoa or whatever, uh, that might have been nice because they're right. like, oh, yeah, I can, that can allow us to see what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the other Carrie all the time is alone. And, you know, she just pops out into boring parts. Well, now she's the one that's stuck facing the world with, you know, the, uh, her other half unavailable. What's Noah? Oh, Manoa. Manoa. I'm, uh, or, Man, Man, is that his? Moana. I'm sorry. Jesus. Oh, Moana. Oh, got I, it, got that's, it. That's my, this, my dyslexic, can't pronounce <laughs> syllables thing correctly. You got the, you got the car, you got the attention whore. I got the, I can't say words right. <laughs> can't say words good. Yeah. Uh, damn it. You know, he, he, pl- yeah, he played there. the giant, he played the giant hermit crab in cool. Moana, if you've seen it. Yeah. He's usually good. Did you see what we do in the shadows? I did not. That's a good one. He's a vampire. Okay, I think it's uh, your turn, Aaron. Number two. Uh, is it? Okay, well, the other big highlight uh, was the something else we talked about in the intro, the, the Lenny dance. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which, um, also I mean, my number two. So. Okay, yeah, I thought because this, <laughs> this felt more peaky. This felt more cohesive and like, you know, big, big moments. And I was wondering about us talking over each other, but... Um, and I think that Noah Hawley was just biting hard on like the James Bond type of introductions here, but it felt right. This again, in exactly the same way that David felt when he's doing the, you know, flamingo dancing through like all these soldiers, like this, this, this malevolent force that's just, just prancing through people's minds and imaginations and just, you know, it must be, you think about a parasite and she's been confined to this one host. Mm-hmm. And for whatever weird time deliation, crazy astral thing that's happening in in the 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 infinitesimal moment from this guy hosing him down for bullets and impact, she's able to connect with all these minds, and you just really got the feeling of like what a what a, a thrill that is. That now she's got all these other psyches she can <laughs> feed upon and mm-hmm. maybe gain strength from, and and I just thought it was. It was it was crazy. It was it was fri- it was scary. It was intimidating. It was sexy. It was like all these things all rolled up in, into one. Right, and it's a testament to Aubrey Plaza too, how well she did yeah. with that. <laughs> yeah, she she's been really good these past couple episodes. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. Good stuff. All right, I guess it's my turn. So, my number two is love and power, David says that he and Sydney are in love and Lenny doesn't like that. And she has this great quote. Do you know what love is? A chemical electrons in your brain sending signals. Are you familiar with Ophiocordyceps unilateralis? It's a fungus that infects ants. It's amazing. Really? The spores take over the central nervous system, force them up to climb to a high point, And then the fungus begins to grow up bursting from the tops of their heads, like a branch and it kills them. Of course, also it can spray new spores all over the jungle, infecting more ants. When people say love, that's what I think of. So that's a really great image, which I actually showed. And I thought it was cool to see. I think it was really cool that they showed it. And he even looked over as if he was looking at it a couple of times while she was describing it. But then later she calls herself, uh, herself, your very own walking, talking fungus. So it's like, she's equating love with her own parasitic nature, which I thought was kind of interesting. It also, that parasitic description reminds me of how you guys have talked about the carry carry relationship a little bit in the past. 
I was going to make that connection <laughs> yeah. there too. Yeah. Yeah. And it can be, it's like unhealthy love, codependency, enmeshment, things like that. But the interesting thing is that she also sort of has a, um, a negative description of love. She says, what's the point of love life babies, all of you running around trying to be happy. What fulfilled the only thing that matters is, is God because power. That's the point. Power is the point. Walter, Walter understands. So I was a little confused about whether to her love is power and she sees herself in this struggle with Sid to dominate David, or if she thinks that Sid and David's love is, is a different kind of love, but either way, I think she feels thwarted by Sid and David's love. And Mm -hmm. she said, uh, you know, I was just going to poison you and move on, but then thought that with our powers together, we could give got to run for his money but then all this love bullshit i'm beginning to think i have to go it alone and i was like well how did love thwart that and then i was watching on second time and she's saying i've tried to keep you comfortable i let you have your friends but it's too much work so basically i think sid being the skeptical one of everybody and kind of keeping on questioning the nature of this reality is key because uh, Lenny's just getting tired of that. Doesn't want to have to deal with it. She's been, she's separated Sid from David at least once when Sid started poisoning David's mind with that. And so she just ends up hypnotizing her and locking her away. And then when David comes in and saying, I can't find Sid, where is she? That's when, um, Lenny finally just goes, okay, fuck it. I'm just going to put you in a coffin and take your body and not try to orchestrate this whole scam to, placate you anymore so i think i kind of think that's what was going on yeah it's interesting because if i heard a real person talk like lenny did i would think my god who hurt you Mm -hmm. like is and that's the thing i'm not under i don't quite get the nature of lenny yet like is she literally a demon like some kind of thing that evolved in the astral plane as a true parasite uh was there any aspect of her that was ever human and like why why has she come up with all these like toxic metaphors for for lo- for love and happiness? It makes I think an, a, a more interesting uh, dynamic to p- portray the the big villain as a, a walking wound itself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it feels like something you'd hear Agent Smith say in the first Matrix. <laughs> yeah, which by the way, like if you are fascinated by this cordyceps, this 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 parasitic fungus description, uh, I got a book recommendation. Go with all the uh, gifts. Par- no, uh, no. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's Parasite Rex by Carl Zimmer, who is um, uh, a research scientist, and he does a really good job of like each chapter is a different type of horrific parasite that, and it's not just like you know the tapeworms uh, of the world, which are definitely in there, but like he really does deep dives into these things, like. Like, 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 you know, the, the things that get in the brain and compel the, the ant to climb to the highest stalk it can so it can spread the spores or the, the barnacle that remaps a crab to turn it into a female and, 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 and mind control it or the, <laughs> the, the, the parasite that gets inside of a fish brain and makes it hover near the surface so an eagle can eat it and then it completes its life cycle in the eagle's guts that then shit the bones out in the water that started over. And it's just like this really insane, crazy yeah. uh, World War Three going on <laughs> all around us. Um, and there's also some kind of unsettling things about, you know, research showing like that humans could be susceptible to some of these very same things. Um, 
you know, that's more speculative, but it's also right. kind of creepy to think that, like, you know, uh, us being outgoing or risk taking or, you know, what are the what what behaviors that we exhibit that might be negative or the influence right. of some kind of alien uh, biology. Uh-huh. Just got to eat. Eat more yogurt, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, It'll take care yeah. of all your biomes. Yeah, yeah. they say all Sammy, the uh, drooling wreck <laughs> bacteria in your gut are incredibly influential towards your state of mind and your mood and everything. Right, but it has that stuff has made its way into speculative fiction because that book that I just blurted out, "The Girl with All the Gifts," is the, my favorite zombie book ever. And uh, I met the author in London. I brought him to Walker Stalker. It was so great. But anyway, he uses that. The Ophiocordyceps infects humans. And that's how the... And they even have the stalks growing out of their heads at one point. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, infamously, that's also The Last Last of of Us. Us, Yeah. Right. Have you guys played that? Oh, Oh, yeah. 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 So great. Gotta watch out for the clickers. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Where are we now? Iran. Uh, I thought the other, the one that I also really enjoyed is a scene where David's sister comes and I'm not sure if it's actually his sister. I could believe it either way, but she says, and we we're talking about last, last week about how, uh, you know, I was kind of uncomfortable with some of this, um, psychology about people that adopt and are, and are adopted. But I thought that this, it paid off kind of nicely when she came up with this, like every time, you know, we look at you, we just want to vomit. You're just so disgusting. And, yeah. and like this, then she started physically retching, which made <laughs> David retch, which, um, kind of was a little comical, but I also thought that's like preying on David's like deep seated fear, right? Like that's gotta be mm-hmm. the thing that, uh, adopted kids like that's, that that's gotta be their worst nightmare. The fact that like any love or affection they're experiencing, um, could potentially be fake. And, you know, like to the extent that anyone's vulnerable to the, like, you know, nobody likes you. And, and, and if, it, if you, any friends you think are just, are just, uh, you know, laughing behind your back. And, you know, that's, that's, that's a very kind of a paranoid look, but I thought it was really effective. And then when it led to the actual retching, I thought it was pretty affecting. Um, and it just, just really made me feel very, very badly for, for David and the situation he's in a situation he's been in his entire life. Yeah. For me, I, I, I loved all that too, but there's something about the way, um, Dan Stevens is playing this and I think he's really good, but I still don't feel as emotionally connected to his plight as I would like. Like there was another, I can't remember what it was, but there was another moment in this episode where it was, I could, you know, I felt like I should be being more moved than I was, but it's like, there's a blankness behind his performance. Do you know what I mean? Huh. I, I don't, know. I think he's doing a very, no, I mean, I, there's certainly times where I don't feel his performance, but I mm-hmm. think some of that's intentional. Like yeah. the one that I was having a trouble with was him and Ptolemy when they are conspiratorially discussing this guy who's drooling in front of him. And Ptolemy's just like all in, like, you know, yeah. whereas I feel like David was like his mind was elsewhere and then he sees what's going on and then he's like affecting the same kind of like slightly mean-spirited poking fun at this person but it feels like an um, affectation yeah but but i think that's that's kind of like we were supposed to think that like you know david was a lot kind of lost in his thoughts and otherwise and like ptolemy's kind of ripping his mind off or whatever he's thinking about but i think in this scene he did a really good job of portraying a 35 ish year old man who is suddenly affecting a six-year-old boy's perspective and fears and that 
that I could see how that could come across as artificial or not good. <laughs> I don't have I don't have the right crit, the, the you know or affected as you said. Um, but I just I thought it was you know like again I think I said this last week like how the hell is that supposed to look like? How is it like you know a thirty year old reverting back to being a six year old scared little boy? Yeah, what, it's that, got, what does that look like? It's got to be hard to play these parts. Lenny too. I mean. She's right. Just it's so complicated what they're trying to call. The other um, instance of that is when he was talking to her and she was playing the psychologist and he'd said, you know, I feel like everything's balanced right now and I just don't want to mess everything up. And I just wish I had felt that a little bit more. I don't know why. But uh, the sister I thought was really great. I, she, it must have been fun to play kind of the sassy nurse ratchet act. Right. And, uh, and, uh, I was wondering, yeah, why she was being so sadistic and everybody else is an aspect of their real personality transported to this reality. So if you think about it that way and she is too, then she must have some kind of maybe repressed feelings like that. I I mean, I don't know. Uh, The other thing is maybe she's, you know, somehow Lenny's just manipulating her to prey on David. But I think it's more interesting to think that she actually has some of those feelings in real yeah, life. I, I mean, I wonder how much each person in this illusion is themselves essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it, my number three here is that scene between David and Sid where uh, David doesn't, doesn't even recognize his own, neuroses and his own mental issues uh let alone sids like he i I think in that moment that's the demon represented as david but i'm not certain about that what do you guys think well yeah because the answer what jason was talking about with the sister and not being sure if that is like her real aspect it's like it's interesting because like I think everyone can relate to the fact that when you're at your your angriest or your loneliness or or your most frustrated the way you think of the people around you is not an accurate way. Mm-hmm. And like if those thoughts got out into the world about like you know how how you felt about people in that moment when you're not being your best self. Like some people just let it out like if you're drunk or you're high or or you've got a, you got poor self-control that just like <laughs> you you see those like toxic people they spew that shit. I I mean, I don't know. Maybe this isn't true. I feel like that shit is inside everyone. It's just that, you yeah. know, if you have sufficient control and You've you, you've you've got your base needs. To, you can you can have enough control to like not let that stuff out, but it's still there. Right. Like growing any up, any person who is it, like yeah, having a really shitty month, for example, and they're just right. not their best selves. Then because nobody's nobody's perfect, and none of us are angels. So everyone does shit that's imperfect and gets yeah. on people's nerves. And like it, I there, I don't absolutely believe that this girl who grew up with this boy who's so bizarre and so strange and has so many special needs never once resented him and never once felt like God, you know, why can't he just be normal and. And, yeah. and if those thoughts were allowed, you know, that essentially that subconscious thoughts were allowed to bubble out, it might look like that. Now, that's right. something she would never, ever say. Right. Because she's also rational enough to know, like, that's not his fault and I still love right. him. And Exactly. There's all she these... can simultaneously have those aspects exactly. of revulsion and love. <laughs> and that's so – what's so fun is when you're playing on the mental battlefield, 
there are no of those distinctions and it's just like all that raw connection all the time. And mm-hmm. I think that's some of the thing that Lenny is, is playing with here. Is it wrong that I really enjoyed the scene where she slapped her hands on Sid's ass? <laughs> um yeah i don't know it's it's so funny because like i was thinking that from sid's perspective as someone who doesn't like being touched and here's a person who is you know violating her violating like and that's the thing like not even doing the bare necessity of of trying to do whatever she's trying to do to be safe but like I, I thought she was kind of over the line with just how she was 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 feeling her up and then Absolutely. you know obviously to slap on the end there was nothing about safety there that was just that was just exerting power over someone that doesn't have any it just felt which, like it was a little bit played for comedy but it that huh. could just be me I don't know <laughs> anyway you're a bad person I'm and, a bad person. all right and an attention horror <laughs> oh man we're psychoanalyzing me this time all right. what were you so but that that was the thing about I want to say about his sister what what question uh, I was basically saying in this scene between David and Sid, David doesn't seem to be himself. Right. And I think that's because that's not actually David um, in that moment. I think that's the demon with yellow eyes. And I'm wondering if not understanding, not truly understanding either David or Sid or their relationship even exactly could be the demon's weakness here in this illusion. It could be. And, because- and the crack that Sid kind of uses to get out of it. Right, and she—I mean, she's the one that does see those cracks, right? Yeah. Like, like you know, the the gross little boil on the wall, or the the weird door. Which is that David's bedroom? Yeah, yeah. That's what she eventually floats through at the end. I think. I don't think. I think it's David. I just think that he's under the illusion for whatever reason. Because there's another point in the episode where he talks about his manic depressiveness too. So uh, he thinks he's manic depressive, and so I don't see why he wouldn't also then have a misconception about her problem too. I okay. Think, I think it's, so where did he get that idea from? Did right. he get it from his previous therapist? Um, like a misdiagnosis or something like what is, I think it's from, or, or is that from Lenny yeah. from the demon? I, yeah. I'm open. I'm open to Lin, like, like David literally being the demon in some of these scenes or, you know, his sister literally being the demon. I, if if that's the case, I wish they had done something to let us know that that was going on. Mm-hmm. Like for example, the fact that the whoever the telekinetic or the psychokinetic guy is, um, he's a drooling. He, he's portrayed as a drooling, mindless person because he literally has had his mind taken over by the eye. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I wish there was something like their eyes had flashed yellow or something to suggest that because like that's that's not a that's not a difference without a, a, a distinction without a difference right like if if David's just confused and he's under the influence that's different than if literally you know Linny is manifesting as David's body when he's she's talking to Sid and you know that that's that's a, that's a huge difference in how you interpret or, or see see the scene mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah, I interpreted it that he was he's invested in this reality because as he said to Sid, I feel grounded here and you know, he he wants he likes it and for whatever reason I'm like she's pathologizing all of their all of them and for whatever reason so, she's labeled him as a manic depressive and right. she had labeled Sid as delusional, so I think everybody in this scenario is operating under that except for Sid who's kind of breaking free of it 
So I guess the elephant in the room here, the elephant in the psychic room, is what the hell is going on here? This all started when Sid threw herself in front of David and said, white room, right? Right. Implying that there is some volition of David's in here. Mm -hmm. And is that – are those the cracks in the wall in David's little room? Um, Like like, – and, and also, like we speculated that this, they're all that 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 Sid or David might die because flashing to this room is not going to stop the bullets, and yet they were very careful to show us that we were mistaken. That for whatever confluence of their powers, the days that they're spending inside this world are milliseconds on the outside. Mm-hmm. So, does anyone have any ideas about what the hell is going on here? I. Don't know, but I assumed that in that flash of a moment, for whatever reason, David pulled everybody's psyche into this other realm, and somehow the demon got control of it. That's it. Because everybody in that room got sucked in. I mean, I I guess that's David's doing, and then the the parasites are running rampant through it all. Yeah. Yeah. Seems like it. I mean, I, I think that's him trying to save Sid. Because in that moment she's she's gonna die, uh, most likely if she gets hit by all those bullets. Um, so he's trying to do something to prevent it, and you know now he's he's stuck in kind of in this moment with the demon, and now they have to do battle on kind of both planes here. Yeah, I don't know how they're gonna save Sid. Like they they might come up with something, but uh, also I'm I, kind I of think excited. David needs to take control. You know, because David has the power to save her. Like clearly he does. Can, he it seems to me yes. Or is um, that the like because all the f- flashy stuff he does when he's like in full combat mode i feel like those are the demon powers right but if he can harness the the abilities that he has of telekinesis and such he can certainly stop those bullets i mean he has stopped those bullets that's why the demon's interested in him because he's a powerful he has a powerful body yeah. yeah right right but she herself is also powerful and i i don't know where he i don't know where his powers begin and hers end and vice versa yeah like are they just both is she a telekinetic uh, telepath, uh, and so is he, and they're just like ampl- like like you know two waves hit together, they're amplified, or is he a te- powerful telepath and she's a powerful telekinetic, mm-hmm. and that's how they share the powers? I, I, I that that's still unclear to me. Right. I I know how he could save them both. He could just teleport them, the way he's done many times right. before. True. True. Teleport those bullets in front of somebody else. Yeah, in front of the eye. <laughs> Shoot out his eyes. <laughs> his other eye. All right, <laughs> my turn. So, number one. Uh, we've kind of talked around this, but how these people's per- behaviors and personalities manifest themselves in this skewed reality where they're all patients in this psych clinic. Um, Melanie, Dr. Lenny says to her, you still have his voice on your answering machine. And that's not exactly right. It's a coffee machine and she has this body in a cryo chamber, but I thought it was interesting. There's like a slight parallel with how Uh they are here and how they are. And my favorite was Carrie and Carrie, how well they work together in the therapy room. They get a therapy session together. Uh, I don't know. Would they have them have a therapy session together? You'd think they'd have several ones but um they're finishing each other's sentences and right even their body movements kind of flow one to the other and it made me wonder about the relationship between the actors for one thing 
because I have it feels like a girl like that and a guy like that would be pretty different. So this role would force them to figure out ways to connect. I could be wrong, but it'd be yeah, interesting to see the process. It's probably a point of humor for them too. I can yeah. see, you know, the director just in there saying, no, no, get closer. Like, <laughs> yeah. really? You want us to jam our arm? Okay. Yeah. All right. I, I, I actually did like that touch to where they, yeah. in every yeah. scene, they are physically not separated. Right. Except uh, like the ping pong, you know, we've all every time we're at Clockworks, we hear ping pong going on. And when uh-huh, these two are uh-huh. playing it, they never miss a shot because they're so in sync. <laughs> the ball never well, falls off yeah, the table. Yeah. Was I crazier the first time we saw them playing ping pong? There was actually no ball. I didn't notice uh, that. <laughs> I, I thought like and then, and I went to rewind it or because um, because when I noticed that I it was kind of already passed. But I, I swear to God, the first time they. We're going through the motions of playing ping pong, but there wasn't actually a ball there. But don't don't quote me on <laughs> that. Could just be that could be just uh, my parasite talking. But they're they're cute. Like he pulls out the rainbow scarf, which is really sweet, and uh, they do a wonder twins fist bump at one point. And mm-hmm. so I, I enjoyed watching all that. Now, Patonomy with his silly putty to copy images from the newspaper that seems related to his his eidetic memory. And just mm-hmm. knowing every detail of the day his mom died. I, I wasn't sure actually what happened to his mom, though. We didn't really get that, right? It seemed like she had, like, a massive stroke or, uh, like, aneurysm a aneurysm. Yeah, something, something that just kills you. Like, something that can happen to a young person would kill you quick. Because she wasn't that, like, mid thirty, like, you know, as mm-hmm. old as you'd expect a, uh, a woman with a child Tommy's age to be. Mm-hmm. Right. And I thought, like, it- how fucked would that be? Yeah, not great. Especially if you have that gift or whatever, you know, where curse in this case. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Uh, But it was interesting. So when he was he was saying they were talking about the guy with the spittle coming out of his mouth. I'm pretty sure that's a direct reciting of Lenny's dialogue from the pilot. They're sitting there. He Lenny was sitting. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Hmm. Right. Right. So I wonder if he's like subconsciously picking up on David's memories and reciting them or something. That would make sense. That would make sense because of his power. And then the eye, the eye in this world is still a predator. And, uh, that his, his mutant powers are to make women uncomfortable and creeped out from any arbitrary distance. (laughs) He's just got a gift. Yeah. I just wanted to see Carrie kick his ass. I know that was the thing about her. None of her fighting this came through. No, right. Why not? That was interesting. Because she didn't have the support of the other Carrie, you know? Well, I mean, yeah, I guess because she said, I bite, but she was unsure of herself. And that that scene, Carrie had already left. He had already gone Mm -hmm. to the ice cube plane or whatever. (laughs) So maybe she can't be strong without the connection she has to her her twin. Mm. But it was really, it was actually kind of fun and revelatory to see her not just be a one note character talking about fighting all the time. Sure. But I also don't understand what about her fascinated. Like is the, uh, is like this, what the hell, uh, what's the eyes deal, man? Like why, why is he singling out this, uh, the uh, Carrie among, uh, among everyone else? Mm -hmm. Because she's a young, pretty girl. Maybe. I mean, that's the thing. Like, is it just a a truly a purient, you know, uh, interest that he has in her, or is there something uh, left over in? Because because even then, like they didn't even really fight. You know, she got yeah. beat down by a bunch yeah. of the 
black spandex bulletproof material, vest covered goons. It, it wasn't the eye himself doing it. Right. So we I really don't, don't understand. know anything about him except that apparently he was at Summerland, but he liked to His hurt name people. Name is Walter. Is yep. Like, yeah. Yep. You don't know. I wonder if he'll make it to season two. Uh, I don't know. That's it for my number one. I have some random notes. What about you guys? Uh, I think I've talked about most of the stuff I had. Uh, we we talked about everything um, except for what I, I guess. Like I said, I, I still haven't got a clear idea of like what exactly is going on and what's the implication of like when Oliver or I guess Carrie took Melanie out into the real world and she tried to move the bullets and she couldn't and she tried to move uh you know David and Sid David and Sid and she couldn't is that is that just to kind of show us the stakes because uh, you know it's not going to be some kind of simple solution like like uh yeah. you know a quicksilver x-men movie type of deal mm-hmm. um yeah maybe it was at least in part just to show us that time was slowed way down and this was still happening yeah, are are we talking about time powers here? Because I think like the spinning of the bullet seems to indicate that time's just moving very slowly. Yeah, definitely as opposed is still to the telekinesis. Right, 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 right. Um, just kind of stopping everything. But telekinesis is also involved, right? Because David is stuck in place. The bullets are stuck in place. Uh, potentially. Right. Yeah. I mean, what we know from that is they're still in danger of being shot, but they have mm-hmm. some time, but not infinite time, to figure it out. We learned that David's father gave him a way to try and hide him from this parasite, and it didn't work. That was interesting. Yeah, we had a had a lot of talk about David's father. A lot of mysterious talk about David's father. Right. And not only not only did it not work, it failed spectacularly. Like she's talking about yeah. from the womb. It seems almost like it'd be the worst thing to do if. Yeah, like that almost <laughs> yeah. makes me like uh, it, it's like that's that's the worst possible outcome. Like there was not it, it's it's not like you know Star Wars where Darth Vader happened to <laughs> have an investigation on tat an unrelated investigation on Tatooine <laughs> sixteen seventeen years later. Like literally, oh, you tried to melt? No, there's the zygote. Just, just homing in on it. What, what the hell? <laughs> right. Um, but I guess maybe, maybe if it took, you know, maybe if he's like a seven-month-old fetus in there, like that's that's an eternity in the astral plane. Because we see how long you can get just in the space of a gunshot. You know. I mean, so, it so does. Maybe, uh, it makes me wonder. Okay, so if she's been a parasite since he was born, and he's thirty or whatever he is. What has she been doing this whole time? Has she had a grand plan or has she just been kind of fucking around, you know? What is the the long-term plan here? Mm -hmm. I mean, it seems like she's just decided, okay, I'm going to take over your body and wreak havoc in the real world. But why did it take this long? She's also done it before because she says, you know, usually I would just get you and discard you. Um, Mm -hmm. But... And dispose... Yeah, but it's it's weird. Like, why in previous like when does she? How often does she jump? How often does Lenny typically jump bodies? Mm-hmm. How long does they does she stay in them? Is there a limit? Like, because there there's also in previous episode that talking about like this is a particular powerful parasite that would need a particular powerful mind to manifest itself into right. So like a normal person might not even work at all. 
Um, I'm just kind of like, you know, trying to piece together what we know about the nature of this parasite and, you know, how old we think it is and how many times it's done this. And, and right. if that, then if that gives us any clues to like what its actual ambitions are. It looks like, um, I mean, I, I feel like there's what, two more episodes. Is that right? This number six. Yep. Yeah. I'm guessing that, that this parasite story is going to be resolved by the end of the season. I think it's going to be mm-hmm. destroyed. Huh. And then, yeah, I mean, we, we kind of speculated about that an episode or two ago right. and, you know, what a season two without the parasite idea might look like. Is mm-hmm. it going to be more straightforward? Well, uh, now that we know David has had this thing with him for his whole life, then that mm-hmm. makes it a little more interesting to me to say, okay, what's he going to be like with without it? And right. Yeah. And it's not going to be, um, it would be really boring if he was like, oh, I'm normal now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I think he'll still I, have I, some healing to do yeah, for sure. I, I have a hard time thinking they're going to kill off the parasite. Now, parasite might be beaten to right. come back later mm-hmm. on in the series mm-hmm. as a even more existential threat. But yeah, um, I could see that too. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, cool. That's it. Let's get into uh, listener feedback. This is food for thought, and also just kind of take the temperature of what you guys thought about the episode. I'll go first. Dylan blank says really enjoying the show. I don't know how this episode progressed the plot much, but I did enjoy it still. Aubrey Plaza is such a great actor. She looks and acts so crazy and Dan Stevens as well. He makes the best faces. (laughs) He does. He does. He makes pretty good faces. (laughs) I especially like his faces when he is, uh, surprised or kind of confounded by something. Mm hmm. I think those are some pretty good Dan Stevens faces. And I like how he's a little twitchy sometimes and he doesn't want to look you directly in the eye. Mm-hmm. It's good. Andy Crompton of Manchester, the United Kingdom says, wonder what you thought of the use of color in Legion so far. Oh boy. My favorite topic. I can't stop seeing this deep pink color everywhere. It's all over division three from the colors of the doors and the tables to the grunts, woolies, the grunts, woolly hats. If this is the color of Division 3, I'd ex- explain the color of the spiral stripes on the lighthouse on Episode 4. Furthermore, Carrie's brain scans of David show a deep pink color area. Is this where Division 3 has invaded David's consciousness? Another interesting point is that Sid often wears flashes of this pink, whether it's from the bows in her hair or to a pink shirt. Is she actually working for Division 3? The show's credits end with graphics of simple pink and green. Is this a coincidence? Perhaps the green is an indicative color to some. Or to come. Finally, David's t-shirts in episode five was very interesting. A yellow triangle, the color of the demon's eyes. Was this to represent how the parasite had taken him over? Hmm. You know I dislike, I, like, I, this is, this goes back from our very first coverage of Breaking Bad, where people got, in my opinion, way too far into the color spectrum theory, and it uh-huh. continued to confound me in Mad Men analysis. <laughs> I feel like a theory with zero predictive power is no theory at all. And I feel like that's a lot of this, this color. Like, I feel like there's certainly thematic things and like visual, like, like, like when, uh, you look at a character and how they're dressed, the director wants you to feel something, but that's not Mm -hmm. in itself. You know, it's, it's something that only reinforces what they're already doing. It's not its own little band of information right. that's, 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 that has secret. It's a complimentary now, thing, just like the soundtrack, right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Like, like I don't, I don't think like if someone wrote in and said, if you played the Legion episode backwards, you actually find out that, you know, 
uh, Lenny is this or that, I'd, I'd be like, huh, okay, that's interesting. And I feel <laughs> like that's a little bit of how this color stuff comes across. And I'm not picking on you, Andy, because you're in very good company. And I'm particularly on the other end of the spectrum from this. But but I just, you know, it's 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 certainly interesting. And I think it's cool in a visual sense. But I don't think it has any kind of, like, real predictive power over, like, you know, right. what comes next. Or, like, oh, this was purple and now it's pink. What does this mean? Uh, what do you guys think? Uh, like, in Breaking Bad, Walter White's color palette got darker as his character got darker, right? You, mm-hmm. you could say right. that, right? But that's it wasn't about- for... It wasn't like that's like like oh my god look look at look look at Walter he's coming in in purple now oh jeez I bet he's going to be evil I mean it was like it was <laughs> right. always like lockstep right or he's got his red shirt on someone's going to die this episode oh, right it wasn't yeah, like yeah, that yeah. but right but or it it's a certainly... countdown he went from purple to red <laughs> right. next episode he's going to be in maroon and shit's going to be real <laughs> yo like. <laughs> That's that's a theory. Well, <laughs> that's a theory. Right, if you could right. demonstrate that, then that would actually have me sit up and take notice. I think. Yeah, it's. Mo- Go ahead. I'm sorry. It's more of a thematic uh, reflection of the the uh, kind of the feelings of the character, mm-hmm. in, especially in Breaking Bad. It's and like, also, just this show, it looks like you know the visuals are important, and they want it all to yeah. fit together. But now here's. Um, I went back to this interview with Legion costume designer Carol Case, and this, I think, totally backs up what you guys are saying. But she says, you'll notice that the color of the stripes on the character's jackets and pants varies. Those serve as indicators of how serious each patient's case is. Oh, this is actually a little different. Hmm. Sydney Barrett uh, has white stripes, which puts her in the least crazy category. David's are yellow, which means he's a moderate case. And Lenny has red, which basically means she's never getting out of there. But then she adds that early on she added she assigned each primary character a signature color from within that palette. Jean Smart is always in soft beigey neutral colors and Sid always has always in black and orange. So there's different reasons that people can can choose colors. But these that's 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 a perfect example. This this woman is not writing the show. She is taking the scripts and what the director and the writers are yeah. doing and then she's reinforcing that thing. So right. like yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, she's not she's not coloring outside the lines and be like, I want to let you in on this little secret. I think that the, uh, the Noah Hollies of the world would would frown off on that kind of stuff. So it's it's certainly it's it's supportive, and that's you know that's what costume and making makeup does. You yeah. know, uh, we're going to tell you that I is creepy and and violent and predatory, and we're going to give him this creepy milky eye, and he, we're going to cast this gaunt dude with crazy ass hair and we're going to do all this stuff to to reinforce that and and it's also interesting because sometimes they do it against type right like aubrey plaza's perfect example like they cast this kind of quirky conventionally attractive woman uh to play the most evil character in the show because it disarms you you're not prepared for it yeah um so like you know it's it's always type and anti-type with these these people right Jim? All right, let's move on to Abby. She says, hi, my name is Abby, and I have a theory. My theory answers the question of why people dress and have some outdated technology from the 70s and 80s, but still have futuristic technology like flat screens. My theory is it takes place in the future, so they have access to advanced technology, but that they are in a throwback phase to the 70s and 80s where people dress from that time and use retro technology. My dad has a theory as well. He thinks, <clears throat> excuse me. He thinks that the reason why Sydney can see stuff in David's mind while others can't is because Sydney and David are in a state of psionic rapport. Do you know what that means? It means they're 
it sounds I feel like this is the name of a song from the 70s that I should know. <laughs> I mean rapport just means you have a good right. good right. good so simpatico like relationship superhuman right? version of that okay <laughs> that's what it sounds like I don't I think it's just a stylistic thing we've talked about it before that they mm-hmm. want the show to seem timeless and also to sort of not be uh, have us feel too grounded in any one reality and so they mix and match Styles. And there's there's certainly hints like when Ptolemy said that his mom was singing red ninety nine red balloons mm-hmm. loft balloons uh, that is kind of like to me shows us that this is kind of modern day because if you if right. you take a six year old Ptolemy and fast forward twenty or so years and look at the charts then like that 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 stuff kind of all lines up but again. Um, is it important to understanding the show to know what I mean? I guess it is because if if this is part of the larger MCU, you're trying to see how this is going to fit in with Patrick Stewart and uh, the other fucking guy. Uh, you you want to see because because you know a lot of that stuff was very 70s and early 80s yeah. kind of kind of tech. Uh, so like, I guess maybe that's why the fans are really, uh, um, concerned with the timeframe because they want to see where those are connecting. Mm -hmm. But I think more to your point, not only is a stylistic thing to look timeless, but also maybe to kind of confound that a little bit Yeah, exactly. and leave their, and and leave their, leave their, um, leave their options open. I mean, I think another thing is people see that, okay, the styles look retro, but there's advanced technology. And this theory that Abby just had explains that. But I also, if you're a comic book reader, a lot of stories set in the modern day have technology that does not exist. Spaceships and computers and holograms and all kinds of stuff. It's, it's kind of a comic book convention. So I think that might be part of it. It's all the Shi'ar technology crossover. But yeah, that's a good point because like you got characters like you know Superman and Batman who are seventy, eighty plus years old, but they're always thirty five. Yeah, <laughs> like you know, and some sometimes they lean in like Captain America. He's a super soldier and he spent a bunch of time in an iceberg. So yeah, he was he was in the prime of his life fighting Hitler. And he's in the prime of his life now. But mm-hmm. and Wolverine's got the anti aging serum. But Batman. He's just eternally a 30, angry 35-year-old 30, dude <laughs> at, at his physical maturity peak. Iron Man will always was, be that way. was originally in Vietnam, but I sure turned to the Gulf War after a while. And- right, exactly. <laughs> same thing, like, like uh, same same deal with the, the Punisher. You know, he was a, originally a Vietnam-era vet, and, you know, that becomes untenable after a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rick- so the time, it's all, it's all t- timey-wimey. The Doctor Who mumbo jumbo when it comes to comic books. <laughs> Just wave your hand and enjoy it. Okay. Rick says sloppy writing. Sid stated, while inside me, I switched back to my own form for my mom's and all hell broke loose. If true, with her powers back, wouldn't she have by default swapped bodies with him due to the constant physical contact? Oh, shit. They'd be swapping back and forth forever. No, I think she would have had to be having sex with her mom for that to happen. <laughs> right? Right? I mean, that's how it works. I she think... gets the powers of whoever she swaps into, which in this case would be nobody, no powers, because it's her mom who doesn't have any powers. But she's, she, she's reverted back to her own body. So her and her mom physically switch bodies. Now her stepdad's oh. actually in her body. <laughs> Okay, so that's body. that's touching, and then they would have, then they okay, then they would have swept, and, her. and suddenly stepdad had been fucking oh, himself. Shit. 
I think there's uh, a refractory period to this. You think so? Yeah. Sure. It, it's like when you lose a life in Mario or something and you come back and you're flashing. Right, yeah. right. Yeah, you're in vulnerability frames. Yeah. yeah. You got just enough time to separate and figure out what's going on. Uh, Angie G, uh, she's, 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 she's taking it to me here, guys. Uh, every time I search a podcast, there are 10 minutes of complaining about having to do this podcast. And it then continues later, either do the podcast or don't. I'm sorry to be so blunt. I keep trying to listen, but especially number five began with a comment about being forced to do this podcast. Really? Um, so when I say things about how unfortunate it is to be forced to do a podcast about a certain show, the last thing I want people to think is that I'm complaining about my life as a podcaster. What I'm trying to say is you don't go to a movie and like five, five or ten minutes in, pause it and stand up in front of theater and be like, I don't know, guys. These <laughs> characters are all very thinly written <laughs> and I'm not sure their motivations. Hell, I don't even know what's going on. This is a mess. <laughs> or if you're you're reading chapter one of the book, like, oh, who are all these assholes? And what? Why but, should but, I care? <laughs> why? Yeah. Why should I care? I mean, it's like there's a complicit thing that you're going to give the author a little bit of rope to tell their story. So but. With television criticism, you throw all that out in the window because, you know, the Internet age, everybody, you know, the water cooler being what it is, uh, some shows lend that, you know, they're, they're structured to where they reward that kind of stuff. And some shows are more, feel more like you are complaining about the first five minutes of the movie or first uh, chap. So one of the most valuable things I think a critic can do is illuminate to the audience how they approach a work. So, like, and I, that's one of the things I always appreciate about Roger Ebert. Like, whether he loved or hated a movie, I knew enough about his approach that I could then adjust that for how I felt about those same things. And then, like, oh, well, he didn't like that, but I'll probably like it because Ebert's known to be, you know, very not tolerant of X, Y, Z, and I don't care about that stuff. So, when I'm saying that, I just want you to know that, like, I'm about to bitch about things that's entirely likely that's an intentional and these are things that you're supposed to be noticing or complaining or not sure about and if i wasn't not podcasting i'd just be like oh well next one but <laughs> since i have to i'm forced to come up with an opinion mm. it might not be to everyone's taste and that's I just, the thing with some shows you can you know maybe they do that once in a while where it there's not a lot to to talk about because there's not a lot to go on right and right and some shows, like if they mix and match those sort of things, it can be very fun one week to talk about it, and the next week it can be almost impossible. Right. Um, so I think that's, you know, I, I think I was part of that discussion as well, and that's kind of what I meant is, you know, week to week, maybe there's not quite as much to talk about. Right. You know, and, and um, you know, ultimately it's my way of trying to apologize for perhaps – being dismissive or overly critical because you know there's some shows and movies that you watch and it's like well this is just failing it's just they they intended to do this and they're not doing it and it sucks and there's some like you know david lynch movies especially where you're just you know supposed to feel that way and then it's, it's how do you feel at the end of the movie and um you know i just like i i I'm I'm trying to I guess blunt that or uh, let people know what I'm talking about and I do th feel like it sometimes it comes across if you're going to be inclined to not like if you're really digging and this episode of Legion blew your mind and Aaron comes and says oh, this feels like you know an unfinished chapter of a book you're already going to be pissed and then when he's trying to explain 
this view uh and and it sounds like he's complaining about having to do the podcast like i can i can understand why that would make a person crazy but it's not what i'm trying to do and i apologize if i came off like that at this point we're eight uh, we're six episodes in do you have a feel for whether at the end of this you're going to look back and go oh that's a pretty good show or not i think I, I think the answer is yes on that for me this last episode i think is when because up in the last two episodes previous to this i was very like oh man this is really relying on this single trick of like is this real or is uh-huh. it not real and those <laughs> are the least like i, I mean I, I i made no attempt to hide my distaste for that kind of current flavor of the month storytelling and now where it's like getting down to the business of telling a story without these tricks it's it's an interesting one yeah and i think it's a fair point to consider whether maybe this should have been a six episode season um to you know so they didn't have to but but you know the next episode yeah Yeah, but but on the other hand like i said you know like any good book sometimes this stuff is important and these um seemingly unrelated or extraneous details will come up big in the final two chapters of the book and reveal everything so Mm. who knows i'm feeling better about it this week than i was the past two cool next uh eric Mahler has uh some information regarding foreskin restoration <laughs> he wants everybody to go to norm.org he says good luck there I, I took a brief scan of it there are various methods for restoring your foreskin and this is kind of a group for people who are in the process of or already have restored their foreskin mm-hmm. uh, there are various pinching and stretching devices yeah. there are surgical techniques certainly it's an impressive array it says uh the National Organization of Restoring Men is a nonprofit support group for men who have concerns about being circumcised or considering uh-huh. foreskin restoration or are in the process of restoring their foreskins. Our aim is to help men regain a sense of self-directedness physically as well as emotionally. And I am not 100% sure this is real. Oh, no, it is. It's oh, very yeah. detailed. I, I've I've gone through that because I've, I've first discovered this. Uh, subculture about 10 years ago i can't remember where in internet but but there are there are guys who feel very uh you know be like betrayed by the fact that you know this this uh thing was done to them and they feel like they're missing out and it's not natural and they want to restore that aspect and you know um there's there's all kinds of all kinds of reasons and there's all kinds of approaches and everything it's like you know like whatever someone wants to do with their junk to make them feel good about themselves <laughs> i'm not going to take a real strong stand on um i just and and, and 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 honestly i'm i'm kind of like anti-circumcision myself because it does feel like um, at the at the at the least an unnecessarily cosmetic procedure um done for purely cultural cu- cultural reasons um which i you know that I, I'm, ne- I'm never down but i i also think that sometimes the way people like norm speak of men have been uncircumstances as like they've been mutilated or, you know, well, I, I don't think that's super helpful. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle. Yeah. It's in that sort of pathologizing thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you. Anyway, appreciate your concern. <laughs> uh, that's it for the main part of the show. The news this week is just a little spoilery, but we'll put it at the end just in case people don't want to hear anything like that. And then the next week's segment after that has some 
kind of bigger spoilers, not anything yeah. too momentous, but kind of bigger. So in the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can email us at legion at baldmove.com. You can also find us on the web at facebook.com slash legion pod. And to be sure to check out other shows at baldmove.com and podcastica. And also Jason wanted to do some pimping. That's right. right. So both those pimping. networks are listener supported and we haven't even mentioned that once, but we will now. So what do you got? What's your guys thing? Uh, if you would like to support uh, Bald Move, the Bald Move flavor of independent podcasting, you can go to club.baldmove.com where we have a plethora of, of incentives and features such as ad-free podcasts, et cetera, et cetera, um, and, and, and premium content to reward people that, that would choose to support us. Jason? And we've got patreon.com slash Jason and Karen where you can – contribute and we have some cool rewards and stuff there too so let's get into the news so fx announced did you guys hear they're renewing legion for a second season Mm -hmm. i did see that i did see that fx programming president eric schreier said the first season of legion was a stunning achievement if i do say so myself more than a new (laughs) series legion is a wholly original take on the superhero genre our thanks to Noah Hawley for cre- uh, taking creative risks and shattering expectations. So it airs in 2018, but they didn't say how many episodes or when in the year it will it will uh, air. But I'm sure Were Noah Hawley you... likes to do short seasons. Sure. Uh-huh. Were you – I was kind of surprised that they came out this early because the show debuted – okay at 1.62 but it's it's dropped below quite a bit below a million it's like 0. 0.75 0. 0.8 uh in the last two uh, chapters and i thought that was on the cusp of fx maybe willing now i know they've they've shown forbearance with like the americans uh because that's you know gotten even though it's had sagging ratings it continues to be a critical darling and get a lot of rewards mm-hmm. and, or awards for the um, and, and I know they did for Fargo for, for similar reasons. Um, although it's ratings were a bit stronger. I was actually surprised that they hear that they, I, I guess not surprised that they renewed it, just surprised that they renewed it mid season without like mm-hmm. having some time to think about it, see if it kind of had a second life on Netflix or what, what kind of buzz it would get or among critics. Uh, what are your guys' thoughts about that? Yeah, I think as we see more of these streaming services online um, establishing themselves, companies like FX, like um, you know AMC, they're trying to create this cachet uh, more and more so that they can kind of attract people to those platforms. Because ultimately, like, doesn't if you're on one of those platforms and you're paying for it, it doesn't matter what individual shows are doing. It's kind of an overall thing, right? Do you think this part of this is also like posturing to um, it seems like everybody wants their pay network? Yeah. Like, like you know, yeah, that's what it, I mean. it, it, like a year from now, like FX now becomes something you can get for two or three bucks. Mm-hmm. And hey, mm-hmm. you're Legion. And you, if you're a cord cutter, uh, you know, there you go. Um, I, I wonder if, if some of this stuff is is building those kind of libraries. The reporting on it on the show talks about it as if it's a rating success too. And it might be that it does really well in delayed viewing. I don't know Could if, be. how big a factor that is, but it might be. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. Next Aubrey Plaza, Hollywood reporter interview. They're asking about the scene where she describes the Ophio cordyceps and basically confirmed she's been 
hiding out in David's head since he was in the womb. She says, that was probably the most difficult scene of the series for me. Essentially, I'm playing four different characters in one scene, or at least that's how it was in my head. The scene is kind of a big deal. You've seen drug addict Lenny, overalls Lenny appearing as these hallucinations. You've seen Lenny in a suit that's kind of this crazy crazy Beetlejuice character who has some other agendas. You've seen therapist Lenny. So that scene was very complicated for me, and it was really fun and really challenging. It's Lenny's biggest moment in the series. I believe it. It's interesting to hear how she thinks about it. That's the thing. Like, I, I, I think this probably is fun for Aubrey Plaza because I've seen quite a bit of Aubrey Plaza, and it's there's a particular spectrum that you get. Like when I think yeah. of her and like Scott Pilgrim and Community and even Bad Grandpa and whatever that Dick Face and Butthole Need a Date to Hawaii movie, uh, Parks and Rec too. Did I say? Oh, I meant to say Parks. I, I said Community instead. Um, there, there's a certain kind of like type of character she plays, and this was a little bit of a lot of you know this was. It started off with that core character, but since then, I think she's gotten to do things that she's never really gotten to do in anything else. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I like that. Well, like yeah. I, that must be it. Must be fun for her to come in and and be be kind of asked to stretch like that. Absolutely. Uh, Gene Smart, who plays Melody Melanie, told Digital Spy that she and her castmates weren't always a hundred percent sure what was going on on the show. She said, we, we would sort of compare notes. Did you read the new script? Did you get it? Did you understand? And we just decided to give ourselves over to that. Let it carry us along like a roller coaster. The thing is, even if you don't completely understand it, you know that it comes from an absolutely crystal clear vision on Noah Holly's part. You know that it's all going to come together in some fantastic way. So you're willing to just go with it and trust. That'd be tough, man. I always thought that about lost, you know, none of them knew what the hell was going on for the whole even series. the showrunners. Yeah. Even <laughs> when, by the time it ended, no one knew. <laughs> uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, anyway, Noah Hawley was at South by Southwest and he said that by the end of the season, people would have a better understanding of what Legion was trying to accomplish with a story. Um, he's always been saying that in interviews that by the end of the season, we would understand the questions raised throughout the series. So I don't know for sure to what detail, like would that mean that we could go back and know exactly what was real and not the whole time, but he's always maintained that, you know, you're, you're not, you're not going to have questions by the end of it. He also said Legion is meant to be a show that is a state of mind, but the problem with TV is that there are commercials. He said, there's a hypnotic quality to the way we put it together. I need to get you out of your life in the first seven minutes of that show. Yeah, that could that could all also be because I noticed this was a slightly longer than the average episode, slightly, mm-hmm. um, and it had to commiserate more com- commercials because we are watching this on FX now, and it's a real bummer because you can't fast forward or skip the commercials, so like it really does like you 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 get the full live watch experience, um, and I think he might be onto something there. Because if this show is allowed to cast its spell on you and it kind of sucks you in, you're going to have a different reaction than if every mm-hmm. seven or eight minutes you're pulled out and, you know, Geico shoves its gecko down <laughs> down your, your dick hole. Uh, it, 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 it definitely probably doesn't have that spell-like quality. Can you try watching it one week a different way? Or it does it not work with your schedule? No, I mean, that's the thing. Like, um, the problem is I just we just don't have a DVR right now. Uh-huh. Um 
because we've kind of gone to this model where we just got we get stuff on. I mean, I guess what we should have done is is this available on like iTunes or Amazon? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's probably what we would do. Uh, like if I was going to do this again, um, maybe do that. It might. I never watch it with commercials, and I, I don't. So I don't know what the difference is, but I can imagine it would be a annoying yeah we just want to try to like the because the you know, fx now app had, and we just right, kind of right. see what that was all about and it's like it's just a bummer because you get to these commercial the, the 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 place you can fast forward and rewind and pause during the episode but there's these breaks where they just you, you you just have to watch the commercials and you can't fast forward pause or do anything while those there's are playing it's very bummer. black mirror <laughs> All right. How dare they try to pay for the free entertainment I'm consuming? Damn it. Damn it. <laughs> okay, so what was that listener-supported site again? Just kidding. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> All right, time for next week on Legion. This is where it gets a little more spoilery. The first, uh, I guess, American teaser wasn't all that spoilery. It had Carrie saying the hospital wasn't real. Sid saying it was a mental projection created by the monster. David's locked in that box. Oliver's back with Carrie in the frozen cube talking about rescuing David. But then there was this promo that I think was maybe shown on Canadian TV or something. Did you guys see it? No, I saw it right before we started, sat down to record. I saw people talking about it on Reddit, but I didn't actually get a chance to see but you know the, what it the commercial. Sort of. It said, so it has Oliver saying to Carrie... You know who this is? Carrie says, Amal Farouk, the Shadow King. Uh-huh. Huh. So they are, I mean... All right. Just straight <laughs> I, up. Confirmation. Yeah, I, yeah. I, yeah I, I, I knew that. We now, kind of all knew it, yeah. Yeah, how... how you just said Carrie said that or Melanie? Oliver. Uh, Oliver said I that. I think Carrie said it. Uh, Oliver said, you know who this is, and... Uh, actually, oh. I could be wrong, but anyway, somebody okay, said it. Okay, okay. Somebody said it, and then and then later, Oliver says something about how David's hiding in a tiny corner of his mind, but he'd be gone soon, and then the Shadow King would become David. It's so weird twice. because, like, is that a real spoiler? Because if you're not an X Men fan, that's like. You know, it's only it's like if you're watching episode one of Spider Man and Peter Parker gets gets bit, and then the right. preview they're like, "You're you're going to become a Spider Man." Like, if you don't know who Spider Man is or what right. the hell, like that could or mean anything. You're watching Star Trek Into Darkness, and the villain reveals that his name is Khan. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like, okay. Yeah, like, unless shit. you unless you know who the hell Khan is and all that, yeah. then is that really a spoiler? Like, no. If his name was Tizzy Wizzy yeah, Bottom for, Fizzy, for like, me, he definitely would not have been a spoiler. Right, right. He'd just be like, "That's a fucking cool ass name." <laughs> definitely, that's that's a handle. I'm gonna, right I'm gonna, I wonder if it's I wonder if it's available on the PlayStation Network. But uh, for the comic readers, it's a spoiler. Yeah, yeah. but. Is it because again, if you're a comic book reader, know. you should have picked up on everything they're laying down. That's mm-hmm. what I'm saying. It's a spoiler, and right. it's not. Well, I'll move this to the front of the podcast when I do the editing. <laughs> <Very front. laughs> okay. Well, no, because even like I, you know, there's always the self righteous spoiler phobe that you Let's know. Just call this episode. <laughs> I am the Farouk the Shadow King. Right. Yeah. Lenny is the Shadow King. <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing is David's father, you know, we re- it was revealed David's father gave him away. And if it's the X-Men universe, that is Professor Xavier. Just thought that was worth mentioning. Right. Yep. And I wonder, I mean, 
if like, like if you're a comic fan and, and that's a spoiler, then to the extent that you know anything about the Shadow King, then you would know all that history, right? So yeah, like it's it's a multifaceted spoiler. Now you've got the Charles Xavier as the dad thing, and I thought mm-hmm. I was going to talk about this in the spoiler section anyway. That like the fact that they were hammering home this dad's ex- identity so hard, <laughs> uh, and like almost like you know giving him his Obi Wan Kenobi quality of trying to hide him from me, like mm-hmm. that seems like it's pretty con- pretty confirmy that it's going to yeah. be. Right. If it's I don't not, know, it's weird. It's really weird. And I, and I don't know what what that means, because if this is taking place in 2017 or 2016, then the Xavier School for Gifted Children should be should be out there. Well, you know, anyway, you slice it like it just feels like the way this this show's trying to have it both ways where mutants are a poorly understood phenomenon and there's like all these organization maybe or just maybe this one organization popping up and maybe Xavier's a competing uh part of it but then mm-hmm. it's also hard to th- I don't know. It's like that in the comics too and it, sometimes some writers treat mutants as if they're more secret than and others they're a little more publicly known and you know it's hard to nail down exactly what the status is, but as time has gone on in the Marvel universe, there have definitely been more and more groups of mutants popping up. Right. All right. That is it. I think this is our longest episode yet. And, uh, that's just fine. So thanks for listening everybody. And we'll talk to you next week. See you. Bye.